everybody. We're going to be this morning in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be looking at the first two verses. So if you have a Bible, you should open up to there. If you don't, then um, it's going to be displayed on... Oh, there it is, right there. Yay. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, I'll read the text and pray for God to lead us in enjoying his word, amen? Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank you for this truth that you've given us, Lord, to, to look into your word and understand. Help us to understand this text. Help us, help us to change our hearts if necessary through the preaching of your word, Father God. And help me this morning as I preach your text, preach your word, your truth, Father God, that I would not be a hindrance, Lord, I would allow people to understand and hear and, and be affected by your truth, Lord. We thank you for these things, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm feeling pretty good this morning, which, is, which I give all the glory to God. Uh, you know that I'm undergoing cancer treatment, and on Fridays when I have that treatment, uh, it's, which is in the late afternoon, uh, it really tears me up. I go home, I, I probably get home by 5.30, it's a two hour, I go through two hours of infusion, and shots, and okay, which arm are we going to do this week? <laughs> and I've got shots that they do in my stomach as well, which are quite painful. Uh, so by the time I get home, I'm just exhausted, I'm tired, the, the chemo is already beginning to affect, and I stay in bed the rest of the night. By Saturday morning, I'm starting to feel a bit better. And praise God, this particular Saturday, the Lord helped me to walk through and, and put th together this message that I've been, I've been working through for the past couple of weeks. Uh, but it was on Saturday that I sat down and wrote everything down. And praise God that I, that I had the energy and the strength to do that, not feeling bad. And today, I feel, I feel great. And it seems as though God is walking me through this 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 period of, of going through the, the treatment and beginning to feel better and better each time, you know, there's less of a, of a feeling of, of like your body's being poisoned, uh, which, is, which is good. 
uh, I'm, I'm being affected by the treatment, in other words, by the cancer's in remission and it's staying there, praise God. So we're going to continue this as long as, as he allows. The, the cancer is the type of cancer that, that identifies the treatment that's being going, and it, it works its way around that treatment and then it comes back. And so then we got to try something different. Got to try something different until we run out of things to try. So praise God that He is bringing me just a, a moment uh, in this slight momentary affliction that I have of relief. I feel good. My my voice is here. And so let's let's begin with God's God's word. Who who here has trained for and run in a full marathon, a half marathon? or 10K run. And I, I include a 10K run, which is 6.2 miles, because it is considerably longer than running a 40K, a 40 yard dash, you know, something that you can't, you can't sprint a 10K run. A 6.2 miles, you're just not going to sprint that, right? So, so who here has been, who's trained for that? I know there's several of y'all that have trained and run. Yeah, that's, that's good. I did in college. But the, the first one I ever entered, I, I didn't enter. What I meant by that is, is, is I was on my way to the 10K run. My brother and I were driving there, and I, I had a car accident. I was coming down this, this hill, and there was a lot of grease, and it, it, was, it, was, it was like in the middle of March, and so there was a cold spell, and there was rain on the, on the ground and oil on the ground, and I saw the stop sign like about a quarter of a mile away, and I started braking, and then we started doing this. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sliding back and forth until we get right up to the, the last car in line, and I, boom, hit it. The front side of my station wagon looked like I was wrapped around a tree. That's what the officer said. Boy, what'd you hit? Looks like you wrapped around a tree. <laughs> and his car was just a little dent. <laughs> of course. Uh, but... The passenger, the wife, she, he was just bringing her home from the hospital. She had her neck brace and everything was like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> so I never, we never even got to the starting line, so I didn't get to that race. The second one was sponsored by UTSA, the university that I was attending at the time. And, and uh, I made it to that one. I don't recall if my brother was there, but if he, if he went, he probably went in another car. <laughs> it was smart for him. Anyway, a marathon is something you have to run with endurance. The body isn't meant to run these type of races easily. You're pushing your body to its limits, so you have to pace yourself. You have to run with endurance. It requires training, which includes preparing the body to run this type of race. And that includes the types of foods you eat. You're not going to be running this marathon with a triple-decker Wendy's hamburger. You know, or you shouldn't at least. Maybe some people do. I don't know, but you shouldn't. There's there's weight training you have to go into for your legs and your upper body to build strength to allow your your muscles to be able to take you through this race, this marathon. And the types of clothes and shoes you wear those those are important things. In ancient times, when they, they would prepare for a marathon, they, they'd do all this working and, and, and exercise and preparing, and then they'd get up to the race, 
And then they, they would take off all their clothes and they'd run naked. Because they didn't want any distractions. Oh, there's kids here. They, they ran it with underwear on. <laughs> Sorry. Back to the text. So when, so when the writer of Hebrews says in verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, he is definitely referring to running in something that is long distance, right? Something that requires endurance, something, something that is going to be difficult and taxing on the body. This will be a journey, a lifelong event. But there is a specific way we are to be on this journey. It is with the mindset of a Christian attitude as opposed to a worldly view. Right? We know this because he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely. Now, he wouldn't be talking to non-believers or worldly people if he's saying these type of things. So we know he's talking to us, Christians, as believers with this Christian attitude. So we're on this Christian journey. That's the title for this morning's message, Our Christian Journey. Now, for those who don't consider themselves Christian, I would encourage you to listen closely to this message because it will apply to you. It will apply to you. And, and I hope that I will be able to, at the, at the end, I will have been able to make an argument that would cause you to consider making a choice to follow Jesus. And I hope you do. So the title, Our Christian Journey, I have only two points. And generally, when, when, when I have like two points, it's maybe a shorter message, maybe under 30 minutes. I know my, my family always tells me, oh, it's under 30 minutes? Oh, that's great. That's not the way to encourage a pastor when he's talking about his message. My message may be short. Oh, I hope it's great. I hope it's under 30 minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like saying, yeah, after 30 minutes, say, stop talking. Let me, let me get out of here. <laughs> I don't want to hear your voice anymore. No, no, no. 30 minutes could mean that... that that I have a short message, but I, I doubt it, because there's 13 pages of, of manuscript here, and that generally means about 45, 50 minutes. 40 minutes maybe at the earliest. So. so hang in there with me. Hang in there with me. Two points to consider, so let's begin with point number one. The calling and context of our Christian journey. Let me read the, the text, and then we'll break it down. Verse one, again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so it begins again, therefore. There's that word again that connects this section with the previous section. Pointing us to the previous section, chapter 11, where it talks about all the saints that have gone before us. Since we are surrounded, think of, think of a stadium and seated in the bleachers are all the saints who have gone before us cheering us on. We're running this race and the, and, the, and the stadium is filled, packed to the brim with all these people cheering us on. 
by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's what he says. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is, this is the cheering section. Our heavenly hosts who, who are spiritually tied to us. Spiritually tied to us. This is what it says in Hebrews 11, uh, verses 32 through 40. If we could put that up on the, on the screen. Yes. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and, of the, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemy armies to flight. Women perceived back their dead by resurrection. They received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Now it's the last two verses, verses 39 and 40, where they, we are clearly shown that we are tied to them and them to us. So in verse 39 it says, And all these, though commended through their faith, not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. Whoa! He's now introduced us into this, this context of all these saints that have faith, by faith, have done all these things. And now he says, but something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's where the tie-in is. Now, we're tied to them. They're tied to us. So what is this something better? Something better that God had provided for us. What is it? Salvation through his son. Salvation through his son. That's, that's the new covenant, the something better. This something better, this salvation through Jesus Christ who atoned for our sins through his sacrifice, that's called the gospel, is the something better that as Christians we are very familiar with. But perhaps as non-believers, you are not. And so I will get into more detail about salvation through Jesus Christ in a little bit. I, I encourage you to please continue listening closely. So we've got this cheering section. Surrounds us. What are they there for? What are they cheering on? They're cheering on the calling that has been put on us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is, this is the calling to lay aside every weight and sin and run the race. 
too often Christians try to figure out where the race is taking us. Their focus is on the wrong thing. They get bogged down with this, this is, where are we going? Where are we going? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Dakota has to go pee. That's a, I don't know if you know Richard Pryor, but that was one of, that was one of his movies. <laughs> the, the, the point is that they're, they're focused on the wrong thing. They get bogged down with where are we going instead of persevering in faith. In other words, trusting in God wherever he should lead us. Trusting in God wherever he should lead us. That's a funny sound. Okay, we'll continue. Um, so, okay, so trusting in God wherever he should lead us. Matthew 6, 34 says this, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Okay? All right. So let us also, notice the emphasis in the word also. Let us also lay aside. We are called to follow their lead, the great, crowd, uh, the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, applying to our own lives the lesson of faith. If we are called to also lay aside every weight and sin, then we are also called to apply the lessons of faith to our own lives. Does that make sense? Not only should we hear their voices as they cheer us on to the, to the end, we should conform to the pattern of their faith, not the pattern of this world. So what are the lessons of the of the faith in chapter 11. Well, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that Pastor Mark had preached on all of chapter 11. There are a lot, there are, I think I counted 23. By faith, this person did that. By faith, this person did that. I'm going to go through a, several of these, not all 23. It was a really long list. I was going to have slides for them, but there were too many slides. So... So here, here, first of all, it defines faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the first one. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that are, vis that are, that are visible, that not, not made out of things. Let me read that again. Okay, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Right? Okay. So by faith, again, assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, understanding that the universe was created by God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice, and through his faith, Though he died, he still speaks. That was verse 4. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is verse 5. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is verse 7. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is verses 8 and 10. You see the faith in these people? By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Verses 17 through 19. And there was Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the people who crossed the Red Sea when they left slavery in, e- in Egypt, uh, and, and the people who surrounded the walls of Jericho. It talks all about it, these, the, the faith that was given through these people. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The fleeting pleasures of sin. Verses 24 to 25. And by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies, verse 31. And then he goes on to say, and many others. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and Dave, of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets, verses 32, verse 32, and uh, who through faith did many things and suffered many things. The goal of chapter 11 was not mere history, but exhortation. The writer of Hebrews was exhorting us to listen about, to these people and learn about these people who by faith were doing all these wonderful things. That's why chapter 12 begins with the word, therefore. We need to follow that example. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so closely. If, if we are told to also lay aside that it means that the saints before us also had to lay aside. You see, they were not sinless. They had weight or hindrances, many flaws and sin which clung so closely, and yet despite their sin, they were commended through their faith. Verse 39. But, but if we are asked to also lay aside, then it, it stands to reason that they were also expected to lay aside. So let's take a closer look now at the two things we are asked to lay aside. Every weight. This can also be translated as every hindrance. Anything that can cause us to not run the race well. Anything that would, that would bog us down, which is a given. Anybody who runs a race is expected to run it to the best of their abilities. Otherwise, why run the race? Nobody's going to ask you to run a race poorly. You know, hey, run this race, but make sure you do a lousy job. No. Would you accept 
running a race, if you were asked to run the race while carrying 50 pounds of books in your left hand and a pail of water in your right hand, while expecting you not to drop a book or spill any water, would you take that race? No. If you're going to enter a contest, a race in this case, you want to do your best. Same with the race that is set before us, the Christian journey. We are expected, encouraged to do our best. And we're told how we can do it well. The writer of Hebrews encouraged us to look to Jesus. Which we'll get to in our next section. But every weight is not talking about weight as in pounds and kilos. It's, it's talking about things that weigh us down spiritually. Anything that hinders your spiritual progress should be discarded. These are not particular sinful things, but they're things that would not be considered a help. So you could ask yourself, is this a help or a hindrance in my life? And, then, and sin, which clings so closely. When we turn to the matter of sin, then things become more serious, or at least they should. They should become more serious. Hindrances, hindrances weigh us down, but sin causes us to stumble. Entangles our feet so that we cannot run the race. It could potentially bring us down to the ground, or in other words, to a full stop. So we must not take sin lightly. Sin is deceitful. We saw this in chapter 3 of Hebrews. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. A warning. Sin is deceitful. It'll bring us down. It'll prevent us from running the race well. Therefore, let us flee from temptation and oppose all sin so that we are not deceived and fall away, unable to run the race well. So that's the calling to lay aside every weight and sin and run the race. Now the context. The context. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are, we are running a race, one that is already set before us. But what is the context of this race? Is it the world? Which abounds in self-focus, materialism, sensuality, and relativism. Relativism is the belief that there's no absolute truth, only the truths that a particular individual or culture happen to believe. Is the context of the race a job or organization that has become an idol? Something that takes you away from being able to worship God fully, giving yourself to all faith and trust in the Lord. This can also be your family 
or a racial group or social economic class, another group of people or organization that has become an idol and, and inhibits your ability to worship God? Or is the context, as Hebrews would have it, where you see yourself surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses who bear testimony to faith in the Lord? How you answer this question will shape the manner in which you live your life. If you're a believer, the writer of Hebrews says, the context you should see yourself is being surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses who bear testimony to faith in the Lord. This is the body to which you belong and whose approval you should seek. The sound of cheering you should hear is from their approval and encouragement, not the world's. Not the world's. Yes, we have to live in this world, but we should be glorifying God, not man. We should conform to the pattern of the faith of, of the saints, not to the pattern of this world. As it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our Christian journey has a calling to lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us and a context for that calling to see ourselves surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who bear testimony to faith in the Lord, cheering us on, encouraging us in the faith to eternal glory rather than being led by the world where only death and destruction is the end result. But how do we run with endurance the race that is set before us and run it well? Well, the writer gives us the answer to that question in verse 2, by looking to Jesus. So let's go there next. Now, that's been, that's been section 1. Of, I spent 30 minutes on it, so... <laughs> Section 2 is a little bit shorter, maybe 29 minutes. So what was that? Oh, so let me, let me read uh, verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, looking to Jesus. This is, this is the encouragement that the Hebrews writer gives us. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. With regard to our faith, there are three ways. This verse encourages us by looking to Jesus. Look, first of all, it shows us that Jesus is the premier example of our faith. 
He's an example of our faith. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The word founder can also be translated as forerunner or pioneer, describing someone who goes ahead to blaze a trail and overcome trials and barriers. As the perfecter of our faith, Jesus is the supreme and perfect example of faith. By faith, Jesus despised shame as he was mocked. It is noteworthy that the cross is where Jesus' faith in God was put to the greatest test and given the most brilliant display. We look to the cross and understand what happened there. A brilliant display of God's work through his son, Jesus Christ, who offered up his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin, his righteousness given to us through the cross. We see in Matthew 27 that even, even the leaders mocked him. Matthew 27, 41 through 43 says this, so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. They were mocking him. And yet it was true. By faith, Jesus pleased God as Enoch. Matthew 3.17 says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. By faith, Jesus set aside all earthly glory to become our deliverer like Moses. By faith, Jesus looked forward to the city to come, the city to come like, like Abraham did. By faith, Jesus made a more acceptable sacrifice as Abel's faith presented. See, Jesus endured both suffering and shame on the cross, but he persevered and is the perfect example of how we are to persevere. 1 Peter 2.21 says, for, for to this you have, also, you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Jesus is our example in perseverance and also in spiritual joy, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So we can see examples of joy that was set before him in a number of ways. First, first. Jesus took joy in doing his Father's will. He took joy in doing his Father's will. He said in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When he speaks of food here, he's saying that which is the most important thing he does, that which satisfied my, satisfies my strongest desire and quenches 
all other desires is to do the will of the Father and accomplish his work. This gives him ultimate joy. He's also looking forward to being reunited with the Father in heaven. He's got joy for that. Despite this, the shame and suffering that he's going through, he's looking forward to the end result. I get to be a, with, with my Father again in heaven. He's rejoicing at the knowledge of what his suffering and death on the cross will accomplish. Namely, that the redemption of the people for himself. He sees the crown beyond the cross. He sees the crown beyond the cross. Jesus was an example of James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We, too, should rejoice at trials because by enduring them, we gain the crown that waits beyond the cross. Jesus saw that crown. He had joy. We have trials. We see the crown beyond the cross. The second way this verse encourages us through Jesus, it, is, it shows us that Jesus is the object, object of our faith. He's the premier example. He's the object of our faith. Jesus waits for us at the finish line. It is to him and for him that we run the race. He's our object. The cross is where he finished the race. More, more on the cross in a, in a minute. The third way it shows is, is that it shows that Jesus is the source of our faith. Not only is Jesus our premier example of our faith and the object of our faith, he is, he is the source of our faith. That's why we look to him. He is not some long-dead hero, nor is he a mere philosophical ideal. He is an active recipient of our faith, active in inspiring us and empowering us because he lives now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he prays for us like he did for Peter in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He wants us to finish the race. He wants for us to endure. He wants for us to, to be with him the other side of the cross with him in glory eternally forever. Looking to Jesus as an encouragement is so important in such a difficult race as ours. If we look to the world and the things of the world, we, we will be conformed to its pattern of destruction and death. Nothing more beyond that. Nothing more beyond that. If we, if we look to Jesus, we will be filled with power to endure to the end. We will be conformed to his pattern, not only because of the work we are doing in our own hearts, 
following Jesus' example, but because of the active and transforming work through the Holy Spirit, Paul says that we are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed. The only way we can be transformed is there's something active happening to us, and that is through Jesus. We are looking through Jesus as we run through this race, as we endure, as we struggle, as we go through these trials while we're running through the race, looking to Jesus as an example, as our, as our object, as the source. We can finish because he gives us the power, the power to finish. Running a marathon requires endurance. And for you not to get in a car with me before the race even begins. <laughs> a marathon is a long-distance event. It just, just like our Christian journey is a long-distance event. A lifelong event that requires that we run with endurance, hearing the crowd of spectators cheering us on, and looking to Jesus for encouragement while we run the race to the end. Before I close, let me, let me give this warning to those who have never looked to Jesus in faith. For the unbeliever who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is an exciting time for you. Let me begin with a quote from Richard D. Phillips, which I found in a commentary on Hebrews. If you could put that up, okay. Okay. If you have never looked to Jesus in faith, if you have yet to enter this godly calling of those who follow him, this exhortation applies especially to you. Look to Jesus Christ, and you will find one who is altogether lovely, whose example of life and death transcends all others, and most important, who suffered death that you might be forgiven and have eternal life. Unless you look to Jesus in faith, you will never know the life that is of God. And though you may enjoy this world for a season, there will be no crown for you at the end. But only the judgment of God and the punishment your, your sins deserve. Wow, that's heavy. We are all born into this world as sinners. Because of Adam and Eve, their fall from grace into sin has left us an inheritance of indwelling sin that we cannot escape, except for one way, and that is through salvation that comes through Jesus, through believing in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Now, some people believe that they're good enough to get into heaven. They've lived a life that has been good enough, as good as anyone can be. But you see, that's, that's not good enough. When we sin against a holy God, the payment for that sin is death. And the judgment from a holy God requires the punishment that sin deserves, and that is death. It must be paid, and paid in full. Doing good deeds is not good enough. 
being a good person is not good enough. There is nothing you can do that will be good enough to pay for the debt you owe for your sins. Jesus knew this. So he offered, his, he offered to come to earth as man, live a sinless life so that he could offer up himself as payment for the sins of man. This is called atonement. Atonement refers to the needed reconciliation between sinful man and the holy God. This reconciliation is possible through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is described in Romans 3 with the following verses. If you could put that up. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, propitiation means turning God's wrath into favor by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, who lived a sinless life, was able to offer up his righteous life as a sacrifice and payment for the sins of mankind. God accepted this. And for those who believe in Jesus Christ and confess that they are a sinner in need of a Savior and accept Jesus as their Savior, God will declare them justified in his sight as though they never sinned. God sees them as righteous and accepts them forever forgiven of their sins, past, present, and future sins. They are then reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. This, is, this was all possible by Jesus' sacrifice. Death on a cross as payment for the sins of mankind. This, this resurrection, then resurrected, resurrection, resurrection from death to everlasting life. God raising Jesus on the third day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of the Christian faith. Without resurrection, the belief in God's saving grace through Jesus is destroyed. Resurrection must be there. And he now lives and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, where he remains as our advocate. Salvation is obtained by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we say look to Jesus in faith, this is, this is, what, is what we mean. By confessing you are a sinner in need of a savior. But you have to confess. You have to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, please consider what I've just said. 
Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Jesus will then send the Holy Spirit to live in you and teach you how to begin your Christian journey so that you too can run the race with endurance that is set before you, looking to Jesus who gives encouragement until you reach the finish line, your finish line. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, first of all, for the faith of those that went before us that we can see as an example that we have them surrounding us as a crowd, cheering us on to run our race, looking to Jesus so that we can endure to the end. Father, you have set us on our own journey, each one having their own journey, each one needing to look to you, each one needing to receive encouragement and power to finish the race. So we glorify you, Lord. We, we thank you for this, this opportunity to run the race well, to cross the finish line and receive the crown that's on the other side. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand in response.